Go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds on politics, offering insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Join me, Tyler Foggett, for conversations with the most knowledgeable minds from The New Yorker that will dive deep on the most interesting political story of the week. Then, Susan Glasser, Jane Mayer, and Evan Osnos gather to hash out what's happening in Washington, D.C., with an insider's understanding of the high stakes at this perilous moment for American democracy. Plus, our editor David Remnick will provide you with insightful storytelling with a mix of interviews and profiles. That's all happening on the political scene. Make sure you're following it now, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jason Kander, and this is Majority 54, the podcast that is still for all of the people in the majority of the country who are voting for progress, but want to be able to communicate with the rest of the country. And that portion of the country is pretty stubborn, obviously. That's what we're learning right now, is that it's it's not a bunch of people going, oh, I'm so sorry I was wrong. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So... Ravi, let's start with news of the week. Let's ju- just tell the people where things are as we're recording this, and then we'll get into the larger conversation. So we're recording at, at around 9.50 a.m. Eastern time on Wednesday morning. And as we sit here right now, uh, there still are a bunch of states left to call, of course. Uh, and almost every one of these states are states that the anticipated votes to come are heavily tilted Democratic, which is relevant and something we'll come back to, with the exception of probably Maine. Right now, uh, if you assume that Arizona goes to Biden, uh, as the AP called, and AP is pretty conservative about these things. It's going to Biden. Uh, And it's going to Biden. And you assume Alaska is going to Trump, which hasn't been called, but is going to happen. Then Biden sitting at 236 electoral votes to Trump's 216. Uh, with Nevada, Georgia, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Maine's second congressional district left. Uh, and like I said, and in almost all of those cases, the remaining votes to come are going to be uh, absentee, in some cases, early vote, provisional ballots, a lot of heavy Democratic counties. And as of just the past hour, Biden pulled ahead in uh, the vote count in Michigan, and he probably is not going to look back. Uh, and in Wisconsin, he pulled ahead uh, a few hours earlier, both for the same reasons, which is that early vote, absentee vote are coming in in heavily Democratic precincts. He looks very, very likely to win those states. You put those states together with Arizona, it's lights out, but he has other paths. He has Georgia, which right now the Times is putting as a slight favorite to Biden, which we'll we'll dive into a little bit later. North Carolina is still too close to call. It looks like it's favored to Trump, but still well heavily Democratic votes left to come, which is something we'll talk about. And Pennsylvania looks like it is slightly favored for us. We may not need it, but of course, we uh, would very much like to win that state. So all things said, Jason, um, just at a state of the race perspective, we are in a position to win this race. We just have to continue to, um, we have to remember what we knew before this election, uh, which was that there was a very good chance that election day was going to stretch out uh, for days as we counted these votes, that's what's happening. We also knew that the early, uh, the the same day vote was going to be Republican uh, leaning, and that the early vote in absentee was going to be Democratic. That is certainly happening now. So if we just remember those things and and think about where we are right now, we're going to be Trump, uh, and it's just going to take a few days potentially to know that to to be able to say it with hundred percent certainty. 
Yeah. Okay. So to sum up, I just, everybody listening to this right now, to sum up, we are going to win the presidency. I'm just telling you, we're going to win the presidency. We're going to finish counting these votes. We are going to, as per usual, win the popular vote, probably by a good margin. And then we are going to win the electoral college vote with either 291 uh, electoral votes or 307 electoral votes. That's what I believe. And that counts Pennsylvania and possibly Georgia. But I think probably it's going to be 291. At the worst, it's going to be 270, 271, whatever. We're going to win. That's not what's causing, in my opinion, everybody's immense stress right now. I mean, sure, people are stressed. Are we actually going to win the presidency? But but there's something deeper than that that people are not giving voice to. And it is that people are really upset to find out that the country didn't just fully repudiate Trump. I mean, what the conversations you're all having with each other right now are, why don't people, you know, how can they vote for this guy? I don't understand. What What is America? Like, what what country am I living in? And that's what I want to talk about, because I live in Missouri, so I'm not surprised that things are are coming slowly here. So I have all sorts of thoughts on this, Ravi, but before I go into like a long monologue, are these also <laughs> the conversations that you're having with people? Yeah, and I would say there are two fears. One is that uh, there wasn't this repudiation of Trump, uh, and then the second is that Trump is going to steal this, I, and uh, we'll, we'll get to the second one. So uh, don't worry about that. We'll both get into that and... We're going to dive into each state to explain why we're pretty confident as well. So hang on for those two things. But on the first question of just the disappointment about the repudiation of Trump, for sure, I'm there. Like I wanted uh, a bigger blow to Trump, but I, but at a more basic level, I wanted to beat Trump. So uh, at, at the first level, my mind is focused right now on just making sure we get that done. And if I, if I think back to six, nine months ago, especially at the height of the Democratic primary, I did not think we were going to be able to win this race. Pre-COVID, height of the Democratic primary, the fundamentals were not in our favor. And I was actually, I know a lot of people were, were, were joking about how optimistic I was on, on, on Twitter yesterday. There was a point in this race where I was despondent early on in the primary. And we are looking very solid to win the presidency. Uh, and that is not a small thing. Uh, and that is an important step forward. Now, in a lot of audiences, I would have to do a lot of work to try to uh, explain to people how hard we all knew this was going to be, but this is majority 54. If you're listening to this podcast, you've got relatives, you've got friends who are obstinate. And so this shouldn't be too surprising to you that there are a ton of people out there who didn't move. And we knew this. Uh, we knew that Trump had a base of 43% of his approval rating, and that he was going to add something to that. Looks like he may have added four or five points from the, uh, from the undecided votes and maybe a little bit more of people added to the electorate. Uh, and uh, but it's not enough to win the presidency. Yes, it's it's more than it should be. But that's why this podcast continues. That's why we keep working to fix this democracy. This country has had a litany of challenges in its history from civil wars to um, civil rights struggles. Like if our if our ancestors were, you know, paratrooping into, uh, you know, France in World War Two to save the free world, you know, the least we can do is dive in for another four years, precinct by precinct, race by race, go on to the next one after we we do do the best we can in this one and say, now let's win this Georgia Senate runoff or runoffs, by the way, and just keep rolling and do everything and, and keep having the conversations that we need to have with our relatives because, yeah, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be an overnight blow. But today is better than three days ago was, in my opinion. We are going to win the presidency, and we could not say that for sure three days ago. 
Yeah. And folks need to remember that the reason that this podcast is even called Majority 54 is because we keep winning the popular vote. The majority of Americans don't vote for Trump. And yes, we have these lines, these state lines that are created. It's sort of like, you know, we're playing against a handicap. You know, I mean, it's how it is. So it can feel really devastating. But everybody just needs to remember, like, we're not no one's even discussing the popular vote like it just we go into this it's baked in like well obviously you know everyone accepts the idea that more americans will vote for the democrat for president than the republican because that's what america does but you know but that doesn't mean anything about the election and that's a whole other conversation so the real anxiety here is people saying what the hell is the deal with america and the answer is this is change but change is slow change always comes slowly and it and it comes, it's really, really tough. And here's the backdrop to this. Every ad that you have seen on TV for your entire lives that is from Walmart, that is from Coke Industries, that is from any of that, those are ads for corporate conservatism. Every ad about corporate responsibility, every ad from Amazon telling you how happy their employees are. And those, those ads, those messages are not counted in political campaigns and so they're not countered by our side. And the mission of this podcast and the, the charge that I have for every progressive in the country is to act in your life as a walking counter to those messages. That's why the mission of this show is so important. And the good news is, and the reason that change is coming, though it is coming slowly in the country, is that those ads don't have the effect that they that they used to have. Those messages don't have the effect that they used to have because social media is a powerful tool at our disposal and because people see that that's bullshit. You know, people are living their lives. And so we all just have to continue to give a lot more voice to the stuff that may be taboo to say in, you know, in a lot of places, but that we all feel, which is, you know, the structure of this economy is bull. The way things work in this country is bull. It's not fair. It's the way Elizabeth Warren talks about this stuff. And we all have got to talk about that year round, not just when there is an election and not just in relation to some issue in the news. It's just a thing that's got to be part of popular culture. But look, we also got to remember a lot has changed. In the next 24 to 48 hours, we are going to know that we have elected an African-American woman as our vice president. Also, progressive policies are winning in a lot of places. There's a ton of places where Republicans may have won the state. They may have won all sorts of things. And meanwhile, they're making $15 minimum wage, though. Like, we are winning on these points. So we have to continue to have these conversations and connect those policies to the two parties. And then finally, to make people feel a little bit better, you got to remember that there's a generational shift not just a demographic shift, but a generational shift that's happening in the country. And we have to cultivate and we have to encourage that generational shift. We have to make sure that millennials and that Generation Z stay progressive. Uh, because look, as they start doing things like paying taxes, that's it's, it's not for sure that they stay progressive, right? A lot of people go, I don't want to give this money to other, you know, to other causes. I, I want to keep all of it for me. We got to make sure that that doesn't happen. And, 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 and and that's what's going to make the difference in the country. So, and we have to especially, I told you this is going to be a monologue. We have to especially focus no, on I'm this. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. <laughs> I'm preaching now. I'm, uh, you know, like, <laughs> come with it. You know, uh, so, so um, we have to especially focus on doing that 
in the blue dots within the red states, okay? We have to stop thinking of it as, you know, you 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 finish college or you go off to college and you leave the, your place in the middle of the country or the Southwest or the South. We have to do everything we possibly can to create enough opportunity to where people don't have to leave Oklahoma City. They don't have to leave Kansas City. They don't have to leave Austin. They don't have to leave Houston. You know, all these places, um, and I could just keep going and going and going. There's so many like this. Uh, Des Moines, I mean, like, literally, like, the blue dots in all the red states, we have to make sure that those places uh, continue to be huge, you know, beacons of opportunity for folks so that everybody doesn't got to go to Chicago and New York and LA and, and all these places to be successful. That's what we got to do to save those places generally, but also politically. And finally, I would just say this stuff takes lifetimes, more than lifetimes. It is a relay. It is not a marathon. There's no finish line, but we're going to do it and we're continuing to move forward. But yeah, there's no Perry Mason moment here, but we're yeah. going to win the presidency. And, you know, you think about what they did in 2016, which is they lost the popular vote and they won the Electoral College with, you know, not a lot to spare. Uh, we may uh, win with one or two states to spare, but we're certainly going to win the popular vote and we're going to win the Electoral College. Uh, and both when he had the Senate and he didn't, and we'll get to the Senate, Trump has, has shaped America, whether we like, you know, whether we like it or not. Right. So we have to, you know. I wouldn't say think like them, uh, but I would say we have to realize that we're about to receive and we have to fight for it. There's going to be a lot of work to make sure that Trump doesn't pull bullshit and get away with it. But I'm I'm confident we have the horses for that fight, too. Uh, but we have to take that power and and, you know, like, sure, like be disappointed for a little while. But we got to take that power and reshape America now. Uh, and, you know, and whether we won by one vote or a million votes or a billion votes, uh, we still have that power. Um, and as Obama showed, you know, he was he won pretty sizable victories. And we I think we left a lot on the table in those years. And I think if we think about power the right way and we're urgent about it uh, with or without the Senate, there's a lot of good we can do in this country um, because there was a lot of bad Trump did with or without the Senate. And so there is a flip side to that story. Uh, so, yeah. N not to mention, just... by the way, that like in a very close Senate with the House majority, it's it's not it's not as if you can't get some stuff done, right? It's look, is it going to be the huge sweeping stuff necessarily that we wanted? No, but we also we might get the Senate, you know, depending on Georgia stuff, and we're going to have more elections in a couple of years. And on top of that, like we get to move the conversation and we get to continue to move this stuff forward, particularly if we have the presidency, because that's what shapes the conversation. And by the way, everybody needs to remember that defeating a president running for reelection is not an easy thing to do. It is in fact, one of the hardest things to do and it doesn't happen very much. So one of the big strengths of Noom uh, is that this idea of there's a community of people who you're going through this with, right? And and so that makes it a lot easier uh, to focus on your goals and understand that it's it's not, you know, pass or fail, and it's not just you all by yourself. And I think that's really why it works so well. It's also because it is not about 
hitting goals or not hitting goals. It's about changing your approach to things. When I think about some of the examples of this, I talk to so many people who tell me, for instance, that they have a lot of guilt around when they eat this or when they don't work out. And what Noom can do for you is help you uh, come up with routines where you don't have to constantly be struggling with that guilt. You just have a different way of thinking about either food or exercise and having different goals. Like for me, a lot of my goals are around getting stronger or being faster. And those have great side effects, but that's where I am able to focus. And Noom helps me do that. Noom is the habit changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. You're human. So if you go off track, there's no shaming, just tips to help you get back on track tomorrow. Uh, just like our democracy. Uh, we're all strapped for time. Uh, and Noom just asks you to commit 10 minutes a day for yourself. You don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Uh, I feel like Noom is really seeing us right now. Sign up for your trial today at Noom, which is noom.com slash majority. What do you have to lose? Visit noom.com slash majority to start your trial today. That's noom.com slash majority. It's crazy times right now. Throughout this episode, we've been talking about a lot of stuff that we still don't know. But there is one thing that is for certain, which is we need to take care of ourselves so that we can take better care of the people around us. And that's why Bluebird Botanicals CBD is the perfect solution for whatever comes next. Bluebird Botanicals is a B Corp certified CBD company, and it was one of the first CBD companies in the U.S. They've been formulating and blending the highest quality CBD products since before CBD was cool. When it comes to CBD, quality and transparency is key. Bluebird was the first CBD company to extensively test their products with a third party and post those results on their site. 100% accessible to every consumer. It'll tell you everything that's in your bottle of CBD, confirming potency, but also confirming that there aren't dangerous levels of heavy metals, pesticides, fungicides, or other chemicals, resulting in a product that works. Now, this is really cool. In honor of our veterans, during the month of November, Bluebird is offering Majority 54 a special promotion. When you use the code MAJORITY at checkout, you'll save 30% off your order of CBD tinctures, soft gels, or their amazing new CBD gummies. But Bluebird Botanicals is also going to be donating a dollar from every order to Veterans Community Project, which I really appreciate. That's the organization where I work. I'm the president of Veterans Community Project, and we're working to end veterans homelessness and to serve veterans all across the country. So I very much appreciate Bluebird doing this. Visit bluebirdbotanicals.com and enter the code MAJORITY at checkout. That's 30% off your order, plus a dollar donated to Veterans Community Project. We had dueling statements last night after midnight Eastern time, uh, first from Joe Biden, uh, who said it's not my place or Donald Trump's place to declare who has won this uh, election. That's the decision of the American people. Uh, he expressed confidence, as we do, that when the votes are counted, he will win. But the crucial difference between what he did and our current president did is that he said, uh, I believe I will win. He did not say what the president said, which was I won and anything to the contrary is cheating. So the president said... Uh, he said vote counting is a major fraud on our nation. Uh, we want the law to be used in a proper manner. He said we'll be going to the U.S. Supreme Court. We want all voting to stop, uh, which, you know, I guess we can call this this week in misinformation. Uh, voting is votes are being counted. Vote Voting isn't happening anymore, Jason. Correct? <laughs> yes. And yeah, this you, you're right. This is. This is this week in misinformation. This is the stuff that we got to make sure we get across to people in all your conversations with family and friends and everybody else is the voting ended and and it's just a matter of counting all the votes. And and look, if you look back, 
this has been something that Democrats have had to stand for in every election, including the elections that we won and that were called on election night. I mean, you know, Missouri was decided in 2008 by 2,800 votes. Uh, and President Obama uh, and, you know, and David Puff had a decision to make, and they could have called for a recount. They decided not to. If they had, probably he would have carried Missouri, too. But what they did is they, they kept saying, even when they won, they said, we got to make sure all the votes are counted. And then when we lost, Hillary, after she knew she had lost and it couldn't be won, she was saying, let's count all the votes. This is just what we've always stood for, and we should just continue to be consistent in that. And, and everybody also needs to remember that the reason that we're having to wait on states like Pennsylvania, states like Michigan, you know, is because GOP you know, blocks in the legislatures were saying, no, we will not go forward and change the law to allow the counting of these votes to start you know, before the polls close. But their reason wasn't ideological. Their reason was they were trying to, to set up this play by President Trump, which was for him to come out on election night and say, look, I'm in the lead, and then try and shut down the counting, which is totally nefarious. That's why this is happening. And people like Jocelyn Benson, the Secretary of State of Michigan, a good friend of mine, is doing a great job handling this situation, which has been made very difficult by these laws. Uh, so that's what's happening. It is. Yeah. And can I say one thing on that yeah. before we go to, to put some people at ease here? Very important that we just pulled ahead in Michigan and Wisconsin, because mm -hmm. if he's like, yeah, stop the counting. Be like, OK, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, Nevada, Arizona, you give that all to us. Lights out, buddy. See you in Palm Beach, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. like like so he's in a difficult spot now. Well, he's like, yeah, and he stop. Does well, not that that's even going to happen. That we're not going to stop counting. But like now his argument looks ridiculous. Well, and he doesn't want to stop yeah. counting in Arizona. That's the other thing you can yeah. point to people because, yeah. you know, now the thing is we're going to win Arizona, whether you stop counting, whether you don't, whatever. But he's like holding out hope there. Uh, so it, the other thing to remember here is that, look, I, I think the Biden campaign deserves credit for this. They looked at this and they said, okay, what, what are the things that didn't work in, in uh, 2016 and how do we remedy those? And people even started to get upset because the polling, which we can talk about too, the polling was so good in Wisconsin and so good in Michigan and they were sticking with it and saying, no, 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 that's our game plan. You know, and Pennsylvania too. They're like, no, we're going to make sure we're not going to get, you know, yeah, he, he dropped into Texas and, and Florida and stuff. But really, and Georgia, by and the Georgia. way, which wasn't a bad investment of time, it no, seems like. No, yeah, it all, yeah, it, because it was also they were all minimal investments of time. Yeah, and 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 they expanded the board, which is always good. But more than anything, they focused on a boring strategy, I guess, of like, hey, we know how we lost before. Let's win the places where we lost that made the difference. And that's what's going to to happen. So everybody needs to remember that, like, just like Trump loved to point out after 2016, if the rules were different, then you would compete differently. But you're playing within the rules the way they're set up. There's a path to win. That path is through those states. And we went and said, okay, well, this time we're going to win those states. And that's what's going to happen. And on top of that, we also won Arizona, which we didn't win last time and which wasn't part of the plan at the beginning. Um, and we could win Georgia wasn't part of the plan at the beginning. So uh, that that's really important. Those are all gains. But more than anything, a lot more Americans will have voted for the Democrat than the Republican. And we're going to win this election. And then we're going to build from there. Yeah. And, and on that point, you know, one one way that this misinformation is coming at people is that Trump and his supporters are saying that um, if they quote, lose their lead, uh, there's fraud. 
right? So a couple of things. Number one, as I pointed out, under the called states right now, Biden's ahead uh, in the Electoral College. He's also ahead in the crucial battleground states that he needs. So if you froze everything right at this very moment, Biden would win. Obviously, that's a ridiculous exercise. That's not how we do democracy, but we Biden's ahead. Uh, also, Biden was ahead in a lot of key states that he didn't wind up winning uh, just because of the way that the vote has come in. So Kansas, Montana, Iowa, Ohio, Biden jumped out to major leads, just major leads because in those states, they count the, the early first. vote came first, yeah. whereas now it's the opposite in other states. And so all of that is to say, even Ben Shapiro tweeted last night calling out the president um, saying, look, dude, you didn't win yet. Now, there were a lot of other things Ben Shapiro tweeted last night that I, I went at him for, but the more we can get even the true believers to just be like, hey, like maybe you believe, maybe I'm not going to convince you on Trump, right? Maybe, maybe I can't get you there, but maybe you believe that you love Trump because you love America, and maybe I can somehow convince you that loving America means loving some of our institutions, even if we've run shot over most of them. Maybe one of those institutions is... The vote. Maybe I can get some of you to respect that. Now, I know this sounds insane, but if I can get if we can get Ben Shapiro to tweet that, maybe we can get more of them to do it. Um, I'm certainly I'm, I'm not going to absolve them of any sins for that. But the more we can just get people to say, "Hey, let's just count these votes," that I, I see as a win. So here's what I'm excited about about this podcast, and obviously about the country as well, and the national conversation going forward. Which is, I think that rather than have an argument right now with people about which votes should count in the process of this election, this election's over. Nobody's going to vote in this election going forward. So I, we don't need to have that argument. Every argument should be now about Democrats and Republicans, progressive and conservative, and just start working on people. Because the reason that this thing is close is not that, uh, or as close as it is, because it's actually not that close, but the reason that it was even remotely close is not that people actually like Trump. It's not that people are like, no, I, I actually do want my president to act this way. No, it's that there are a lot of Republicans. There's not as many Republicans as there are Democrats, but there are a lot of Republicans. And and the vast majority, overwhelming majority of those Republicans decided whether they like Trump or not, that they were going to vote Republican. So that's the problem that we should focus on. And what I'm excited about going forward for this podcast and for the country is, when Trump is not the president, we don't have to have all of our uh, arguments be about his personality. And we don't have to have them, they're not going to be about Biden's personality, which means we get to go back to debating things on the merits and talking about ideas. And I think that's really good for us. So when people are saying to you, well, you know, these votes should count, these don't, have the argument about it if you like, but then say, hey, look, can we talk about like what's actually at stake in the election? What issue matters most to you? Get them on that ground and then just start that work right now for two years from now, for four years from now. We just need to start changing people's minds ideologically and, and focus much more on that than on the choice between two candidates. Yeah, I, I have a prediction that's going to horrify listeners. And I, and I actually had this prediction before the election, and I think it's only true, even more true now as we're in the middle of it. I think Trump's going to run again. And if it's not him, it'll be one of his kids or, you know, one of his acolytes. You know, Trumpism isn't over, right? That is for sure. We talked about it at the beginning. Like, we didn't deal a death blow to it. We can all be frustrated by that, but we just now have to be energized to continue to battle it. Like any good hero story, 
uh, the villain doesn't go away quite that easy. We just got to keep fighting. No, you're absolutely right. It's either I, I think it'll either be Donald Trump or Donald Trump Jr. that we'll be running against in in four years, um, and so that fight is coming. I totally agree. Uh, and the good news is we get to set the conversation a great deal more uh, than. But look, he's still going to be a big part of it. Um, but but I just think let's not fall into the trap of let's not debate what Trump said about things all the time. Let's just take it to the ground where we win, which is, hey, how do you think this ought to work? Have the conversation. Tell people, here's what I think it ought to be. What do you think of this? Don't bring up party. And at the end of it, say, okay, now you just agreed with me. Just so you know, that's the Democratic position. Before we talk about the Senate, uh, we have a quarantine corner brought to us by our friends from Noom. It's important to practice self-care even during these most trying times. What have you been up to this week? I think I killed my self-care. Uh, like I, I think in a good way. I think I crushed it uh, yesterday. I had a great election day. I decided to. Uh, anybody who wants to see, you can go check out my Instagram story. I think it's the best Instagram story I've ever had. So I started the day with a Murph Plus, which was... I'm not going to go through the Brag whole thing, but it was ridiculous. Brag on yourself a little bit. Brag on yourself. Let's hear it. It was ridiculous, it. man. Like it was the Murph plus all sorts of other stuff. And listeners, for those of you who haven't heard this before, the Murph is a, is a mile run, 300 air squats, 200 push-ups, 100 pull-ups, and then another mile run. So a Murph plus would be what in addition to all that stuff? I added a mile. I added 2,000 jump ropes. I added 100 burpees. It was ridiculous. It, that's it how you like do, Jason. And... That's how you do. That's how I do. <laughs> that's how I do, yeah. like Obama says. Yeah. Uh, and it's what I do, whatever he says. It's what I do. Uh, that's right. How that's, I do? I think what it's I what do? I do. That's right. You're right. That's right. So I did that, and I did that, and then I had my first cheat meal in 32 days. I went to Taco Bell. It was delicious. And then I was like, I'm having another cheat meal, and I had barbecue, and it was delicious. But to be honest, what I did wrong is I turned it into a cheat day, and in between, I just was snacking on candy because at 2 in the morning, I was really sick, and I almost threw up. And I'm actually really glad that we did not uh, win this thing yesterday because if we had, as you know, I had a plan to have my first drink of alcohol in 11 months. And I think if I had done that, there's no way I would not have thrown up at two or three in the morning. So I'm really actually glad for that. But yeah, like folks at Noom, they, they give you the support around that and say like, that's okay. Like, we're not going to judge you for that. So let's talk about the Senate, because this is where I am a little disappointed, although there's a lot more to go here. Because yeah. uh, I think I really wanted to, I, I didn't want to just win the Senate. This is where the, the margin of victory matters more. Like if you were to tell me, like, do we beat Trump sixty forty or do we win the Senate? I would absolutely take the Senate uh, with a with a with a small win against Trump uh, for obvious reasons. Like we need to pass an agenda, we need to get our people confirmed, et cetera. Uh, what it looks like right now is that uh, we definitely lost some critical battleground Senate seats, like Montana, Iowa. Um, what am I missing? Alaska is probably going to lose, although that's coming in right now. Uh, South Carolina, uh, people thought that was South be Carolina, one. Texas, mm-hmm. uh, obviously picked up Colorado, Colorado and Arizona, mm-hmm. and so we, lost we picked Alabama. up those two. We lost Alabama, um, and so we need to win. We need to either win the two Georgia Senate seats in the runoff, or we need to pull off the well, North Carolina race. Yeah, or something miraculous needs to happen in Maine. But or we Maine. need two out of that. We need two out of that five right is that five outstanding yeah, we need One, two, two three, more four. two more 
Uh, and so let's walk through some of these right now, um, because there, all hope is not lost. But the, unlike what I said at the beginning about my optimism about us winning the White House, I do not have that level of confidence in the Senate. But at the same time, I think these people who immediately are rushing to have their takes about us absolutely not having the Senate, they are definitely more likely than not to be right. But we have to be mentally tough here and not give in until we know for sure that is true. Uh, because, first of all, the one that's the easiest to sort of dissect right now, in my opinion, is Maine, where I think things are looking the worst for us. Because the reason why Maine is a little troubling is because there is good evidence that the remaining vote is Republican heavy, right? That is the one state where you could say for sure that is true that's left on the Senate map. There's this weird rank choice voting thing, whereas if, if, if Collins stays below 50, the third party votes second choices go to whoever. And there's reason to believe, although this might be one of those pre-election conventional wisdom things that was untrue, but there was reason to believe that that vote would head towards Gideon. I'm not optimistic about Maine. This reminds me of the Ginsburg pod, if you remember, where I was like, man, like I think Collins is going to vote against this confirmation. It's going to be good politics for her. I don't know if you remember that. Mm -hmm. Man, I wish I was wrong about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, this sort of leads into the conversation about polling because everybody's like, what happened? You know, and it's also fascinating to me, this conversation on cable news where people keep saying, you know, the institution of polling in this, what? It's not an institution. Like, it's not like all throughout history we've had polling to rely on. And, and, and I'm not like, oh my God, what do we do if polling isn't accurate and pollsters don't figure out? No, like, yeah, what if what if it's not true? Like so we got to wait. Yeah. You yeah. know, we don't get to know ahead of time. And and by the way, like as somebody who has, you know, in the past and and sometimes now in, in as an activist, uh, and I'm sure you get you have the same perspective here, had the opportunity to consume a lot of polling and also to hire pollsters and to all, all that kind of thing. Here's how polling actually works. I think what people think is polling is like you just call a bunch of people and you ask questions and you say, here's the percentage of people who said this. No, there's this thing called waiting, which is waiting like weight, like stepping on a scale, right? And this is what people don't know is that polls, you get your raw data and your raw data says one thing and the pollster says, please ignore this. I have not weighted this yet, which is when they go in and say, ah, I see we had too many uh, young people in this poll, in the sample. We had too many African-Americans. We had too few Republicans. So what that means is the reason every poll is so different and the reason that polling is so difficult is because in order to get a poll correct, you have to correctly guess, and it is a guess, the percentage of different demographics and different perspectives and party affiliations that are going to show up to vote. So the only way a poll is correct is if you absolutely nail how many Republicans are going to show up, how many African-Americans, how many young people, how many men, how many women. And if you get that wrong, your poll is wrong. That's what people need to understand. And that means that every poll inherent in it is an opinion, is a big guess about who's going to actually show up to vote. So that's super hard to do. And we got to get out of the habit of relying on it so much. Yeah. And I think it's important to remember that when a lot of people who had, were optimistic about this election were giving their takes before the election. I think Axe is a good example, and Murphy's another one. And I would, I, I would say I kind of shared some of their assessments. The reason why they were so optimistic in a Biden victory was because there were so many layers of protection against polling errors. So they're like, Trump's an incumbent. 
Um, so people are going to think about him differently. Uh, Biden's lead is so much bigger that he could weather major, major polling errors and still win, right? That was one of the assumptions. That turns out to be probably the critical one where um, Biden, it, it's going to look like Biden, there, there were significant polling errors in some states. Now, we don't know how big or what those polling errors are going to be in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, at the very least. We also don't know in Georgia or North Carolina. It could be that polling was right on in Georgia. Uh, it actually looks like it, win or lose, the polling had us like very close in Georgia. It looks like Georgia is very close. Florida looks like it was way off. Uh, a lot of other states look like they were going to be way off. Uh, so it looks mixed, but but definitely some really bad polls. Not a good night for polling generally. But the assessment was Biden was up by so much that a major polling error, uh, he could withstand that, which means that polling had some value. It tells you if you're up by 10, 12 points in national polls and you're averaging eight or nine, um, you're going to probably win that election, even if there's a swing of three five, six points in the polls. Uh, and that's that seems to be what happened. Another thing that I think, you know, just in the analysis of looking back, because another element here is the House races, because it looked like we were going to expand. And I think even the Republicans right now are unsure how it is that they won some of these House races. Um, you know, I have some really good friends who were running for the House who I really thought were going to win and who did not. And I think speculation here, but I think when we look back on it, one of the things we're going to see in these races is that it made a difference that the Democratic Party didn't really have a field campaign. Because when you think about how we usually win races, we're really good at field. And the other side doesn't really usually know how to do field that well, not compared to us. And we, we usually we beat them in GOTV and we beat them in field. And we made a decision in this election uh, as a party uh, almost everywhere that, hey, we're going to do the responsible thing. It's a pandemic. We're not going to go knock on people's doors. We're not going to organize big canvases and big GOTV events. And I think that it turns out that was still the right thing to do, but it turns out that had an effect because, yes, the Republicans decided that, you know, through magical thinking, they were just not going to believe in the idea of, of a pandemic. So they went out and had one. So this was a really strange election in that way in which the Democrats did not have a field effort and the Republicans did. And I think that we may find that that has a lot to do with why you saw a, a fair amount of Trump voters who did not vote in 16 or 18, who they were able to find and bring to the polls because they had a robust field campaign and we did not. And barring future pandemics, that will not be an issue in future elections. So on the Senate side, we still could like we could pull us off into the runoff, too. If we get, I think uh, it's pretty likely, but we'll see. So that would be two races that we would need, right? Mm -hmm. And we just need two, right? Yeah, Is that correct? We would need, we yes, need that's two. right. We could, it could be that, the, I mean, it's not impossible that uh, the battle for the Senate comes down to Georgia in the coming weeks. Yeah. It's not impossible yeah. at all. Here's, here's where I just want to leave this with people. Um, and that is that, uh, you know, we all got, I think the whole country, the whole Democratic Party anyway, got really excited about a lot of polling and, and all sorts of stuff for the last few weeks. But, you know, if you go back a month, if you go back, you know, I think just a month, what what you would have all of us agree on, what we were all agreeing on is here's what was going to happen, is that at the end, like when we all went to sleep on election night, that Trump was going to be in the lead, that Trump was going to declare victory, and we all would know it was a lie, and that then in the days that followed, we would win the election. That is what is going to happen. 
I mean, and, and, and it's not easy to defeat an incumbent, whether it be a senator, whether it be a president, whatever. But that is ultimately what's going to happen. And, and that means there's going to be a lot of stuff to be excited about over the coming months. Like, we're going to inaugurate Joe Biden. We're going to inaugurate Kamala Harris. There's going to be a lot of stuff to be really excited about. And I would encourage people to start getting excited about it. And then in terms of grab and or, I would say, whoever you've been volunteering with and doing Zooms and phone banks with and all that, let those people know, like, hey, there's going to be work to be done in Georgia. Like, we're we're going to be doing that still for, for the coming weeks. So I just want to close with that, with that, like, we're going to win. Yep. Feel good about that and be ready to keep fighting. Win or lose in Georgia, and, and it, it looks like it's going to be close. If we're able to pull one or two Senate races into a runoff, we have evidence now that this state can be won, mm-hmm. uh, whether we win it or not. Uh, and we also, based on what you said, we've learned some things about field, and we're going to really want it. And the question is, are we going to want it more than they want it? And we, we're all going to have to grab an oar and, and run down there and do everything we possibly can to pull one or two Senate seats into our column. And so I think the big takeaway is is what, where we started, which is we're going to win the presidency, which is huge. It's what a lot of the past four years has been about, not all of it, but a big piece of it, if we're all being honest with ourselves, has been um, trying to get that guy out of the White House because of what he's been doing to this country. Uh, it hasn't been to win the battle for the mind of every American, right? That's our long-term project. But this four-year project was to to get him out of the White House. That is going to happen. These next few days are going to be critical, uh, but we're going to get what we need, and we're going to keep fighting. We are winning the argument in the country. We are winning the presidency, and I would rather be us than them. All right, before we sign off, a couple of things I want to say. One, we're probably going to do more pods this week, so keep an eye out for that. I mean, there's going to be more news. There's going to be stuff to talk about. We're going to do more pods. And in service of that... I want to know, and Ravi wants to know, what it is that you are having to argue with people about. Is it the argument about whether to count votes? Is it, what is it that you're, that people are coming at you with? Send us a voicemail, leave us a voicemail so that we can address that in the pods this week at 508-687-2589. That's 508-687-2589. We may play it on the air and respond to it. We really appreciate it. We always appreciate hearing from y'all. So everybody, remember... We all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch and Edie Allard. Theme music provided by Kemet Coleman. And special thanks to Diana Kander. Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varvalukas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.